Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, well, Sharon, welcome to the studio today. Oh my gosh, we've made some changes in here. We Looks have. Good. Yeah, we're getting ready for kind of a surprise for our listeners, aren't we? Yes, we are. We're actually going to start having some video. So, um, I guess I'll, bring I'll the, have to look better. I was going to say, I'll have to bring the makeup people in and uh, <laughs> you know the hair people for us so that we can look good for the camera. We can kind of hide behind the podcast. You know, yeah, Sharon, Sharon shows up in her PJs sometimes with her little fluffy feet on. and you know, I never know what I'm going to get when she walks to the door. <laughs> well, just as so. long as your hair people don't make my hair stand straight up like oh, yours Oh, come does. on. That would be so much fun. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah, you know, we're going to have a great episode today, folks. So, But it is good to be back in the studio. It is good to be back yeah, in the studio. Yeah. I love the new dark curtains that we have in here. Yeah. The only thing is when you're boring, I can't look outside. You know, I have to be real careful about that, though. I, you know, I didn't tell Pierce that I put up dark curtains and a camera in our studio because I didn't want him to get <laughs> the wrong idea. So, you know. So, Pierce, if you're listening, I promise it is all business, buddy. That's it. <laughs> Well, I think we've got a great show today. I'm looking forward to this and, one. And I think this is a pretty hot topic. Oh, um, very. You know, I read the Facebook groups and, you know, Sarah and I have actually talked about doing some of this stuff here locally before. And so I'm really interested in, in this today. So, and we're going to be talking about... Ketamine clinics. Ketamine infusion therapy. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple of guests with us today. We have Brian Hogan. Welcome, Brian. Hey, how you doing? Nice to be here. Yeah, and then Dr. Nicholas, oh man, Kalichi. Oh, we can go with Kalinich. 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 Oh, see, I already forgot. I'm I'm totally not good. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. We're we're looking forward to the topic today. So, why don't you two tell us a little bit about you, Brian? You want to go first? Yeah, I'd love to. So, uh, we are the proprietors of a ketamine clinic here in the Jacksonville area in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm the director at the clinic, and Dr. Kalinich here is one of the founding partners of this clinic. We've started a few years ago, and uh, it's been growing uh, ever since, and it's just been a wonderful opportunity to take that side of anesthesia that they're um, so used, and really the professionalism on that side, to this new frontier of mental health. Yeah, and a very needed uh, mm-hmm. frontier, I believe, from everything that I'm reading and hearing. And and it's not going to slow down. It's not going to slow down. No, definitely not. So, not in the time of COVID. No. Yeah, yeah, we can sure, we can sure. definitely delve down that little 
pothole there as well and kind of mm-hmm. talk about that today and how that might fit in with your business practice as well. So, Well, before we get started, can I have a point of personal privilege? Oh, of course. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I have known Brian since he was about three <clears throat> years old. Are you serious? Yeah, because well, his daddy is true. like my <laughs> brother I never had. I did not put two and two yeah, together. that's Jerry oh, Hogan's son. Oh, well, gosh, I know your dad. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. And your mom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know both. So. Oh, and wow. I, I just turned 33 yesterday. Oh, so. well, my. that's so funny uh, because I saw the picture of you and your dad on Facebook, and I still didn't put two and two together. Yeah. Listen, I was with Brian the first time he ever saw snow. <laughs> wow. Well, wow. Brian, are we going to start hearing all kinds of stories about you? You know, little kid. I, I don't know. I, I hope your they're just good down, ones. You know, we'll, have to, we'll have to see. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep them rated PG. <laughs> uh, well, Nicholas, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks a lot. Uh, Navy veteran of 23 years active service from the United States Navy. Thank uh, you for that. We are a veteran-owned and operated company. Nice. We're a collaboration between a lot of professionals, including physician and nurse anesthesiologist. Along with uh, the clinical practice, we are very compassionate and have a servant mentality. So this is a topic that's very near and dear to our heart that continues that service, not only for the veterans that we serve, but also our community and now nationally as a a recognized almost pandemic of its own with the mental health and the chronic pain that we're dealing with on on a daily basis. So again, thank you very, very much for this opportunity to bring more light to the unfortunate stigma that it's attached to mental health. And that's what we're here for. And thank you for your service, Nick. Absolutely. And no, I, thank you. I've known Nick for quite some time. And I can tell you, he cuts a stunning figure in his uniform. Oh, right. <laughs> Not, but I've never had, I've never had a chance to walk you down the aisle like, uh, like good Dr. Hogan has. That's right. Well, it's oh. not over. I'm still, I'm, 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 I'm still, still a, I'm still a former past has been present. <laughs> so as you can tell, there's no separation in this six degrees here. None of them. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I found in, in just in our practice and working with CRNAs that, you know, everybody knows everyone. It's such a close-knit community. And, you know, it's been great to operate in that, which kind of helps our podcast as well, right? There you go. So, sure yeah. Does. Very true. So, guys, why don't you tell us why this topic is so important, especially right now? Well, right now, you know, when you look at things, I don't want to, you know, sound, put it on a downer, but, you know, when you look at things currently across the world, there are over 320 million people in this world that have been diagnosed with depression. And on top of that, you know, what we look at is the military community, but also the community here in Jacksonville. And we see a lot of people suffering. A lot of um, the suicide rate has been climbing since COVID had started as well. It had already been climbing prior to that, but you know, this most recent incident, and this is real therapy that people need to know about, you know, they need to know that there's another option out there when they feel like they've exhausted their options that they've been offered. Well, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of ketamine and some of its uses in its early stages? Oh, absolutely. Obviously, the use of ketamine was initially discovered back in 62, 1962 by a 
Calvin Stevens. It was originally used uh, as uh, human prisoner subjects in 64. The FDA approved it finally for therapeutic use in 1970s. It became a predominant use in the, the war, Vietnam specifically, with military use. It's an amazing therapeutic agent. It's got a, an amazing opportunity for medication out in the field. We found it to be useful. It's uh, resistant to the heat, which is another reason that we used it. It allows for amazing pain management. And that relief that that relief that it really provides for people that, you know, when they discovered it and it was used in Vietnam, they needed something that wouldn't compromise an airway, that wouldn't compromise your heart rate, that wouldn't compromise these other things. You know, we know it makes people a little bit hypertensive. You know, that's a good thing when you're operating. Um, And so in that field, fantastic use. And now to have it become new again in this new way, in this, uh, you know, in ketamine infusion therapy as an antidepressant with new properties that we didn't fully understand when we first found this medication is a blessing to be able to take something that is so readily available and have it be a real game changer for people that are suffering is amazing. And Sharon, as you mentioned, or you know, you wanted to hear, the use of ketamine over the military has been around during my career, like I mentioned, 23 years, but ketamine in anesthesia has been around since the 70s. And mm-hmm. that has brought a greater scope in the pain management of those suffering immediately in the field. Now that we've found the resurgence of it and the use of ketamine in the microdosing, what we used out in the field and what we use in anesthesia, we feel very, very comfortable at those higher doses. What we've found now with the mental health component of microdosing, so the safety level of this drug is so much better. And I use the term amazing quite a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I just have been astounded by the results. So I, I got kind of stuck on the word amazing. <laughs> well, you know, I hadn't really given it a whole lot of thought about its particular use in the military, but that makes yeah, perfect sense. It's a powerful, powerful analgesic, and I've used it for many, many, many years. I mean, literally, I could cut your arm off and you would look at me. Wow. (laughs) And it's amazing. Yeah, and smile. (laughs) Exactly. You'd have some nystagmus, which means that your eyes beat, but Mm -hmm. you will not feel a thing. We used to go to the burn unit. And mm-hmm. it's very painful when they right. tank them to get all the dead skin off. Right. And so all we would do is take an Ambu bag and some ketamine. Wow. Yeah. So it's a powerful analgesic. But I'm with you, Nick. I think, why don't we talk about the dosing for just a few minutes, the micro dosing, because that's all kind of new literature that's been coming out about the micro dosing. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the micro dosing, is really interesting. When you look at using ketamine, especially in your field, you know, you're looking at for anesthesia, you're bolusing doses that are, which just means giving it all at once, um, you know, and it's uh, maybe around 50 milligrams or so of ketamine that you might use, maybe 25. What we look at doing is basing off their body weight, doing anywhere from about 0.5 milligrams per kilogram of their body weight, all the way up to about 1.2. And really when you adjust that dose and what that means, is you adjust it to how the patient tolerates it. You're looking for certain signs, certain things to occur in the patient. And when those happen, well, that's a good stopping point, you know, Mm -hmm. and you can find that point pretty easily, usually within the first few treatments and the patients are already seeing results, which is the amazing factor. You know, most drugs that are used in that field, especially for mental health, take four to six weeks, whereas this medication takes 
an hour after the first treatment. Some people wow. already report um, wow. significant results. So, you know, it's interesting that I also have read about and heard about, and I think it was, was it last year that some company came out with a nasal dosage of ketamine that I read about? Yeah, that's um, Janssen Pharmaceuticals, uh, which is a Johnson & Johnson subsidiary, came out with a drug called Spravato. Okay. That drug is S-ketamine. So if you think of any drug out there, quite a few come in a right-handed and a left-handed version okay. um, of the molecule. This is just the left-handed version is what Spravato is. is the name Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it works in a different way is kind of what you're... What they were looking at doing was eliminating the right-handed side because the right-handed side had caused some of the dissociative ah. side effects. And for people, gotcha. those, well, sure. we can kind of get into that later, but yeah. they thought that that was an undesirable side effect. Hmm. And so they wanted to eliminate it. A few papers later, they found out that that side effect is somewhat tied to the relief that that medication causes. And so that's why a lot of clinics are still using the racemic or the right and left-handed version of that ketamine. Gotcha. Gotcha. So can we spend a little bit of time talking maybe around the stigma of mental health and some of the views, you know, against appropriate treatments for mental health? Because I know that you guys probably spend a lot of your time there. Absolutely. And and one of the problems that we're having is the fact that our patients and our, our family members that are coming in have been in the darkness. They've been kind of suffering with these illnesses by themselves. And they've had this problem of not wanting to come out because of that stigma. You're now starting to see the more recognized individuals, such as a few football players, a few of the more nationally recognized individuals in our country have come out and said, this is not a problem. It's no different than a diabetic who has to take a medication such as insulin. Mental health folks have to take a medication just to stabilize some of the chemical imbalances or some of the issues they have, or on chronic pain, when you're utilizing chronic pain meds, it's for a reason. That stigma comes from the fact that some of the medications they've used have such side effects. You walk around lethargic, you don't interact, you're tired. We have found that the ketamine has offered us a resurgence of ability to come back out of that where they're not so tired. They're actually, as Brian mentioned just briefly ago, within one treatment, they're already smiling or coming back. We have had patients that said their family member is back. There's something that they have not seen in years. I have not had my mom in 20 or 30 years. She hasn't left the house because of the depression. So we have seen that a lot. So are you guys using ketamine only for people who haven't found relief with traditional antidepressants or are you doing a mix of both or you know, typically that's the way that that it's done here in the u.s you know one of the recommendations that was made by a society here was that you have patients that are tried on at least two standard of care medications before this therapy is tried so you know that their doctor has gone through with them, put them on an appropriate dose for an appropriate duration and deemed it not effective. But I have to say the majority of our patients have tried things along the lines of ECT, Mm. which is electroconvulsive Mm. therapy. They've tried TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation. They've tried some of the heavy hitters, you know, in that category. And they're looking for something, they're looking for relief. And the problem comes along when they, you know, they look for that relief in those things, they don't find it. And then they give up you know, where we really do have this therapy that needs to reach the people. And that's why we're so happy to be here today to, to share it with more people, um, that this is a really good, effective treatment that 
the CRNA role uh, is an amazing role to be able to handle this and, and add a new aspect to their repertoire. So have you guys found that patients are resistant to trying ketamine because of misconceptions about addiction and, you know, ketamine could be known as a party drug, kind of hallucinogenic. And, you know, I know that a few years ago it was popping up in the bodybuilder community because oh. of the anal. Yeah, I'm looking oh, at you okay. over there. Uh, who like, tore tell me you, more. Who tore your shoulder up <laughs> doing 350 on 350 or something like that. But anyway, because of the analgesic property. So is anybody resistant to coming in and using ketamine based on the things they've heard out in the community? Yes, unfortunately, we, uh, that's part of the stigma attached, not only around the mental illness itself, but now also about the ketamine and the treatment and the use of ketamine as a therapy. The history of ketamine has been truly a therapeutic, but it's also went into the veterinary sciences. It's gone into horse unfortunate drug. Uh, horse drug, okay. horse tranquilizer. Yep. Unfortunately, it's also been, quote, unquote, a street drug or a party mm-hmm. drug where they would use it and go down the K-hole. That is not what we are finding. That's not what we're seeing. What we have to do is educate. That's, again, the opportunity that we are taking here and what as professionals and anesthesia providers and the listeners that you have, we use this on a, on a daily basis in our clinical opportunities in the operating room at mega doses. What we do want to see is the disassociation. Yes, it is a, you know, it's a quote unquote, a trip, but it's a positive therapeutic trip. So we're working diligently to get this education to the providers, the consultants that we're dealing with and the, that will refer and then ultimately the patients. You know, this is a little off topic, but you wonder <laughs> you wonder if we'll get some really good music out of this. And I say that because <laughs> they say that the reason why we don't have good music these days is because LSD was a reason oh, why, huh. you know, the 60s had such great music coming out is because they had something that they could trip on. Well, if, if you think that's still not happening, you just need to go to a widespread panic show or something. <laughs> those, people are, those people are still out out there dropping a little acid and, uh, and still partying on huh? so well, waiting on the good music again <laughs> um, so brian and nick the name of your company is sunbelt wellness institute and i would just be interested to know how your group became involved with the utilization of ketamine and hearing a little bit more how you're using it for mental health and chronic pain as well well this is going to be a twofold i'm going to start off a little bit with how it became to be known as Sunbelt and the Wellness Institute. We're a firm believer in the evidence. And as a clinician and provider of anesthesia, we've used ketamine for many, many years. I would venture to say even longer than Dr. Hogan and Miss Sharon there, or Miss to be doctor. Soon to be doctor. So, we'll be soon to be doctor. Nick, yes, we'll be, be doctor. Soon to be the so, Yale doctor. Yale doctor. So having said that, that's where, you know, the maintaining current trends and the evidence, I brought that to our corporate board and I'm saying, okay, what are we going to do to help people? Being military veteran, 22 veterans every day, 22 every day are committing suicide. When you look at the mass issues that are going on, as Brian mentioned earlier, about the numbers of mental health and concerns, we brought this to our community. Jacksonville, Florida is a big veteran area, so we wanted to make a difference. 
Having said that, and Brian, and you know, really in this area, um, we were the first here in Jacksonville. We had heard of other clinics that had started up, you know, in other areas, but having such a big military town and knowing again that twenty-two a day number resonating with us, it's something that we had to provide that care that again is just so necessary when when people are suffering and there aren't good medications there for them, they need to have access to that care, and that's what we provided in this area. Well, who is your typical patient? I mean, you talk a lot about veterans. You're in a veteran town, mm-hmm. basically. Are they mostly veterans or are you seeing all kinds of patients? It's a grab bag. You know, it's a lot of different walks of life, different people. Um, we do see a veteran population, you know, that we're treating. And we're currently trying to get some funding and work with a few groups, a few bigger groups about getting funding for veterans that can't afford this process. But we do see civilians, you know, we see people that from everyday life that, again, have been through that role of multiple therapies, multiple trials. And then when they still think that there's no hope out there and they come in and they go through their first few treatments and gain relief, that's one of the best feelings you can have as a provider. Absolutely. Statistically, we're seeing the same number of veterans that we have serving in our country nationally. So it's just a, a portion you know, we are veteran owned and operated. Obviously, we have a servant heart and a mentality of wanting to take care of those fallen veterans, but it's also first responders, now inclusive of mm-hmm. nurses. We that have a, you know, everybody that's especially had, anybody that has had PTSD, anybody that's had a traumatic event. And given the pandemic mm-hmm. and those that have Definitely. lost lives due to a pandemic or you know, unfortunately, domestic abuse. There is, I mean, I can give you a sundry of reasons why Mm -hmm. our patients have come to us. But the veteran component, yes, it spurred us on. But that is not our main focus. Our main focus is just the general population of Mm -hmm. mental health and chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And, And my understanding, too, is that insurance is not paying for this currently. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a big issue. You know, when people research these therapies, they can find a few like ECT, that electroconvulsive therapy and TMS, transcranial magnetic stimulation that are covered by insurance. But, you know, a lot of patients are scared of those. They're scared of the side effects. They're scared of losing a day of of memory, you know, with things like ECT and, and being under general anesthesia for a procedure like that, where we have this therapy that when you break it down, it's pretty affordable. But, you know, when you compare ketamine infusion therapy to a hospital stay, you know, for suicidality or anything, it's a no brainer. It's something that that definitely should be covered and should be something that they take a good hard look at. Let's think about this. We will shock you and pay for that, <laughs> but we won't let you have ketamine. Well, that sounds it's to me like amazing. it's just a matter of time, though, right? I, I mean, it's got to be. You know, maybe it's relatively new to be used for this. And mm. obviously, our, our insurance companies and even our government, you know, we're, we're kind of very slow to react to things. So hopefully, as we move forward, there'll be some sort of coverage for this. But, mm-hmm. you know, another thing, because, you know, the majority of our listeners are, are CRNAs, and, you know, I I've talked to a lot of CRNAs who are interested in ketamine. I know there's a whole Facebook group out Mm -hmm. there with ketamine, folks that are interested in ketamine. How would you, if you're talking to CRNAs, how would you tell them that they could become more involved with the usage of ketamine and possibly even opening maybe their own clinic or doing something out on their own? Yeah. Well, you know, that's an aspect uh, of our own business. You know, we've done that with people. We, We help people, you know, to kind of guide them on that track. 
but there are big organizations as well that, you know, are a good first stepping stone to take a look at of kind of what you're getting yourself into. Mm -hmm. And I would say the American Society of Ketamine Physicians, um, they've recently had a name change to ASKP3 now, inclusive of uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, and, and providers. Their group has been really instrumental in kind of tying all of this together. You know, 300 clinics now across the country are tied together through that group of saying, hey, we have an annual conference. We bounce ideas off each other. And we're trying to change this idea of what a ketamine infusion therapy center is into a realization of a, of a real healing place with proper structured therapy. And I've been fortunate enough to be placed on the membership board for the advocacy of the veteran component, as well as the office-based practice. So we're looking at bringing a standardization to the quote-unquote Wild West that has been out there. Due to the pandemic, there's been a, I think Brian mentioned, there's been a, a reduction in the number of clinics and those that have gone into this type of uh, venture. And it is, an, it is a venture to bring ketamine to the community. It's not something that you go into without a servant mentality and a heart, mm -hmm. as well as financial backing. So mm -hmm. to do it wrong, it could be costly. And we're here to help. We're yeah. definitely here and oh, definitely. thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. So Nick, how are CRNAs uniquely qualified for this opportunity? And what do CRNAs bring to the table, do you think? For these ketamine wow. clinics? That's a great question because, again, we, I think that's one of the things that sets us apart from the other clinics. I'm not going to disparage anybody else's practice model, but Sharon, we've just pretty much brought it already to light. We both spent quite a lot of time in the operating room with this drug. We have seen it at the higher doses. At the lesser microdosing, we're looking for that disassociation, but guess what? Any side effect, any increase in heart rate, any kind of effect that ketamine could bring to the table. We have already seen that. We feel very, very comfortable with the physiology as well as the pharmacology of this. I think that makes us uniquely positioned to bring a different level of safety. Not that any other clinician or practitioner doesn't have the education and background, but we have the true experience, the clinical experience of providing ketamine in a very controlled environment, as long as you have the monitoring as well as, you know, the rescue drugs. Mm -hmm. So, all right, how long does it take you to do an infusion? And give me an idea of, you keep saying microdosing. What is, mm -hmm. the, you know, give me some idea about what that okay. dose might be, for instance. And how Great. do you guys decide? I know you base some of it on weight, but, I, it, you know, just like I'm sure just like other drugs that we dose if we base them on weight we would overdose some of these people but <laughs> very very true and, and again the ketamine that you and i are used to using in the operating room is a much higher dose uh, brian mentioned 25 50 i've given it upward of 200 300 milligrams of ketamine over a period of time for burn patients and things of that nature as you were mentioning well for, we used uh, to use induction doses wasn't it about two absolutely. per kilo or something absolutely I, mean, I've, I used yeah. to use it for inductions of people who were half dead whenever they came in anyway. Sure. And that kept you yeah. That used them. to be the rescue drug for the trauma yeah. patients that, oh, that yeah. needed to be resuscitated. We mm. use ketamine because of the physiological yep. responses. So the microdosing that we're talking about is a half a milligram per kilo. So, you know, we do it by weight and we do it so that these patients can get the disassociate. We're looking for that. We're trying to keep them in a very serene and spa-like environment. So what you're first going to do is you're going to come in and I can use our practice model. We will do a complete history and physical. We'll do a, you know, make sure that the questions are answered. We're going to keep them MPO for a period of time prior to coming in. 
We'll do that assessment. We'll start an IV. Again, take a baseline set of vital signs. Over a 40-minute infusion, we'll start the IV. We'll, it's, we'll do the dosing according to the weight of that patient. We'll start out at the half mic per kilo. And the reason we're starting there is because that's been well defined in the evidence. And we'll go from there. We'll talk to the patient after the case or after the infusion, and we'll see how they have adapted to it, how they have done. So the treatment actually is a 40-minute treatment, and we'll go from there. Interesting. So how was it even found out that ketamine could be used for mental health and chronic pain? I mean, you know, there had to be that somebody happenstance along it. Were there studies out there? You know, what kind of brought this about? It's super interesting. So, you know, it was a little while ago, over 10 years ago that, you know, people had noticed in a few case reports that there were people that had these effects, you know, they had undergone surgery or they had ketamine for some other reason. And all of a sudden they're telling their doctor, Hey, I feel better. What did you give me? And it kind of took a few, you know, somebody putting a few of those together until they found out, Hey, ketamine was given to all these people. Oh, and, and, and so after that, they decided to set up a trial, you know, where, Hey, we're going to give everybody a really low dose of this medication and we're going to see how it affects them. And they would use different rating scales. I believe for those first trials, they used one called the Montgomery Asperg depression rating scale. And when they looked at that, they couldn't believe their eyes. You know, they were seeing results in hours after the treatment. And then when subsequent trials went down, you know, by the third treatment, by the sixth treatment, they were having these massive leaps on rating scales where these people were getting really good relief in, in as short as a two-week period. Wow. Now, do they get to stop this at some point? I mean, oh, or is this question. something that they yeah. have to continually have? And how often do you do they have to have infusions? That's it's, a lot of it's questions. Definitely, yeah, no, it's, it's all right. It's definitely different for everyone, right? You know, that's most medicine is tailored to the individual. The goal of treatment is that you don't have to be treated anymore, right? You know, that, that's right. the goal of any therapy is that we can have the therapy and then we don't need the therapy anymore. Right. But it takes a lot. Ketamine, we like to explain to our patients that it's one eighth of that pie. You know, it's a really powerful thing that's going to get you down, get your numbers down, make you start feeling better. But then it takes the other things. It takes going to therapy. It takes learning stress reduction measures. It takes a whole plethora of an approach to really keep that number down and keep it at something. And that has to do more with the mechanism of how it works that, you know, the reasoning behind that, but for everyone, it's very different. We have patients that again, will go through six treatments and then, you know, that's what's termed the induction phase is the initial six treatments. And that's what most clinics do. And then after that point, you follow up with what's called a maintenance infusion, where maybe at a month, maybe at two months, maybe at three months, they need another infusion. And that's mm -hmm. just a single infusion. And then at that time, you kind of play it by ear by, you know, following up with scales and other things to make sure that the patient is covered, that they're feeling better. Right. So you work in concert, I guess, with the psychiatrist because the psychiatrist, because some CRNAs don't have prescriptive authority in different states. So the psychiatrist Correct. is the one who actually prescribes it. Of course, you're an MD, Brian, so, you know. I don't know what, how you know, that what they, changes it, a, a lot of what happens is, you know, at least for our practice, 99.99999% of our patients are referred to us. Mm -hmm. right. they, they are with a psychiatrist who has taken a good hard look, tried everything they could, both medication wise and with other therapies, again, like ECT and TMS, and decided that 
it wasn't working for their patient and they needed another alternative. And then they send us the referral for that patient. That's the vast majority of our patients. Now, every so often we'll come across a patient that is in that need that fits all of that criteria that currently isn't being followed. And we will make sure we get them with the proper person and get them followed first, again, before we start a therapy like this, because we can't give you six treatments and then just send you on your way. Everyone needs follow-up. They need to make sure that it's working and that it's lasting for them in an appropriate manner. And Sharon, to address your regional differences of how clinics can be established, we do have a medical director that we also collaborate with in need if we do have that. So in the state of Florida, the prescriptive requirement is under a physician. In some other states, there are independent practitioners, and I know of those individuals that are running a CRNA clinic only. So it can be done in any state under any regulatory statute. The other component that I'd like to address this is with a medication. Yes, your goal is to be off of the medication at some point, but what about those patients? Like I'm going to use diabetes again. You know, they're on metformin. They may be on metformin for their life. Is mental health any different than that? Can't right. we be on something just as a maintenance? And that's what I see. And Brian mentioned it. Mm -hmm. they, these patients come back over two, four weeks. And then we see them now, we've been doing this for two years, we're seeing these patients come back on a longer and longer process, and it's just for a booster or a maintenance. Mm -hmm. We have to get away from the stigma that mental health is, you're gonna be drugged out and you're no longer a productive component of society. These patients have transformed their lives. Again, these patients are coming back to their families, mm -hmm. they're coming back from the darkness. So are there any other hallucinogens that are being used besides ketamine in the treatment of mental health or is this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's quite a few. Um, you know, there's great research out there about psilocybin that's coming to the forefront. That's like the magic mushrooms, you know, that mm -hmm. you might have taken at a concert back in the day. Aunt All right now. Uh, <laughs> And um, psilocybin research is is booming right now. Um, and also MDMA uh, being used in veterans with PTSD. Mm -hmm. There's an interesting study I looked at recently that was talking about dissociation. And it was talking about dissociation that you can cause through anesthesia, like what you guys do with a dissociative anesthetic like ketamine and pathological dissociation. Like when somebody has PTSD mm -hmm. and they're trying to escape what's happening to them, they're going to say, I'm not here right now. You know, right. they're, they're trying to escape that. Both of those forms of dissociation are actually healing properties when it comes to depression and anxiety. They're coping mechanisms. Now in the people that have pathological dissociation, where they dissociate without any medication given to them, that's a coping mechanism and a stress reduction measure for them. And that actually is a protective measure for them. What we're doing is we're providing a medication that just like the other ones that, you know, the other psychotropic medications like psilocybin or MDMA, DMT, or things like ketamine, they cause that dissociation. And so we, we're intentionally causing that in people and providing them that escapism for their condition. So as we kind of bring this full circle, I want to go back to something I mentioned earlier. You know, obviously, I'm always concerned about the financial side of things. But, you know, for our listeners, you, you kind of mentioned something earlier that you help CRNAs or help practitioners out there possibly get involved with ketamine and, and maybe even starting their own treatment centers. Can we kind of go back to that and, and kind of talk through how you help people out there get started doing this? 
Uh, sure. We, we've, uh, again, we're, we're on the websites. We're on the social medias. Anybody can reach out to us. I'm hoping that this is going to get to the masses as well. We want to do this correctly. And having gone through the trials and tribulations of multiple companies over the last couple of years, we've found a cookie cutter on how to do this. We've made it very, very replicatable. And again, mentioning what Sharon said, that there's state regulations. We've addressed that as well. And we're, we're able to offer that information. So yeah, that's, that's something that, you know, uh, we've had, you know, multiple requests and centers reach out and we're in the works with a couple, but it's something that when you do it right, you don't have to worry about anything at all. When you do it wrong, we've heard nightmare stories. I mean, we've heard things from people starting their own clinic where they're like, oh my gosh, how do you deal with this and this and this? Well, you don't run into those problems when you start off on the right foot. And so that's really what we've been able to offer people is, hey, you know, we can start you off in that right direction and you're not going to have to worry about those initial issues that some clinics face. So I don't, I don't want to get into this too deeply, but, you know, it's very interesting to me. As I told you before, you know, my wife being a CRNA, you know, I've actually looked into ketamine for the potential of, of doing something here local. But, you know, what do you do if you've got a CRNA and they want to do this, but they don't have a relationship with a psychiatrist or someone that can prescribe the drugs? Obviously, CRNAs can do the dosage and so forth. But do you guys offer that as a service to utilize your firm as the psychiatrist or how does that work? Well, that's one of the packages that we can offer and and how we develop that. It's a lot of it is networking. We have an extensive network throughout the country, and I'm going to, again, fall back on the military that I've had. Uh, I can pretty much pick any place in the state in any of the 50 states and then even in some countries, and I can make one or two phone calls. And there's somebody there that I've had a relationship mm-hmm. with, yeah. whether it's myself personally or the brother and sisterhood of the affiliation of the military. Right. And unfortunately, again, 22 a day, I'm going to come back to that, is a tragic number. And where you see the the concentration of these cities, most of them are retiree, you know, so we have that opportunity. And our physician colleagues that I've worked with over the many, many years are happy to step up. And if we have you here in in Florida, we got you. (laughs) I mean, you know, coverage in a state, you know, when you do that locally, um, you can easily, you know, in the Southeast region, you know, we can cover things like that. When we have to go a little bit further, Northeast, Northwest, we have colleagues there that we know um, that are, again, it's not when you do it the right way, when you present it the right way, especially to a psychiatrist that might be in your area, um, when you have those tools and those PowerPoints that we can provide, you know, a CRNA that's looking into it, they're not going to say no. Right. You know, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, if everything, all the ducks are in a row, it, it's a pretty easy decision. And yeah. What our company, again, something else that sets us apart is, is just our moral and ethical direction as a corporation. And, and we, we run by something called, it's our motto, it's called True North. So I want to steer away from the word partnership, but we tend to partner with somebody that gives us a call and we offer the, the support and the mentorship. It's, uh, it's innate to a nursing, our, our nursing background. Uh, to want to take care of our own. Uh, th- the days of eating your young, at least in my company and, and my mindset is over. I'm not, I'm, that is not, my, that is not my, uh, my forte. So what I would like to do is replicate myself 10, 20, 30, 50 times over and, and save lives. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's great. And what we'll do is for folks out there who maybe are interested in this or want more information, we'll make sure we put your contact information up when we uh, when we put the show notes up so that they can oh, thank you. get in we touch appreciate with you guys if, you, if they want to know, learn more about sure. it and so forth. I have a, a, a really basic question. Since we have had some problems during COVID and before with supply chains, how is it getting the drug? You know, that, that's something that working working with the, the reputable suppliers that we've been working with, um, we've had no problems. Uh, you know, we, we talk, um, you know, we have regular pharmacy inspections at, at our clinic. It's registered like a pharmacy. Um, and, and with our pharmacy inspector, you know, they let you know. They, they'll tell you ahead of time, hey, you know, there's a medication shortage here or there. You guys need to keep an eye out for this. And, you know, that saved us. We've heard, we've heard of clinics out there having issues getting the medication. Again, it's about preparedness. Uh, we, we have a lot of Boy Scouts uh, at our facility, and they're ready to, uh, to make sure that we have all the tools we need to, to treat the people we need to help. Well, good. I work in plastics, yeah. and we, I love ketamine and plastics <laughs> in, in my practice. I can't get it. Really? Can't oh, wow. get it. Mm-mm. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Sharon, because, again, we started using ketamine now more and more. And I think as CRNAs and, and your, your community that's going to be listening to you, your, your listenership, uh, you know, we, it's going to be something that's going to be now a difficult drug to find. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that Sunbelt offers and what we have offered is, is that supply chain. We have the back doors to a lot of places because we've been doing this now for over two years and I've been following the websites and they've all had troubles. But we have a very unique uh, skill set we have a materials manager that was a expert at what she does. Mm-hmm. She's now our practice manager. Uh, so again, that term partnership, we give mm-hmm. those resources and we'll freely as offer much as we can. So yeah, suggestions on how to abate any of those issues and concerns. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying too, um, Sharon, is they, uh, you know, when you use ketamine, the fantastic thing about it, especially in, you know, in the OR is it's anti-inflammatory properties. Mm-hmm. People don't even think of that, you know, that it has these um, massive anti-inflammatory properties. And that's why even with this COVID pandemic, they were using it for COVID patients. Interesting. Um, well, I always, I use it a lot on breast implants because we use LMAs and sometimes, yep. mm-hmm. I mean, you can have some of these young gals on five, six percent of SIVO and they'll still kind of maybe move just a little bit when you cut them. So I used to just give them a little bit of ketamine and I figure, hey, if they're not depressed, of course, who's depressed after getting feel breast a little implants? Bit better, you know? But <laughs> who knows what it was? Was it the breast implant or was it the ketamine? Exactly. That's right. Exactly. But I just, I just can't get it. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a big thing too right now is opioid-free anesthesia, you yeah. know, trying to get away from the opioids that are being used. And in one of our Euro uh, centers that, that we work at, um, that's what we're trying to do too. You know, we're trying to use ketamine and a few other things so we don't have to even introduce the patient to those addictive compounds like opioids. Yeah, I think that could be a, a whole nother show there. Mm. So oh, we've actually we've actually <laughs> yeah. done some stuff on opioid free anesthesia as well. So oh yeah, it's a very interesting topic. Yeah, well, well, guys, you know this has been really interesting for us, and I know we could go on forever, but I, I think this is a good uh, concluding point. Is there anything that you'd maybe like to get across to our listeners as we kind of wrap up and conclude here? Well, on my point, it's just again being a servant and a, somebody that wants to take care of others. That's the innate nature of nurses. 
nurses and, and your listeners. Um, the anesthesia component of that, the combination of the two really lends you to allow yourself to do this in the right way. One of the takeaway points is that thank you very, very much for this opportunity to get our word out mm-hmm. and, and that uh, these people are, they need help and they're in darkness and they're alone. And if we can get to more of them, we can save lives and we're here to help you. And if you want to reach out to us, we're here to help you help others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, on my end, you know, it, it is just about getting rid of that stigma. That's the biggest part for me. Um, really, when you, when you read about ketamine, if you ever pull up an article, the first thing it says is the party drug known as ketamine <laughs> is now being found yeah. for antidepressant use. You know, they forget to mention that it's the World Health Organization top 50 medications or the you know, National Institute of Health saying it's, you know, one of the, the best medications that they've come across for, for its use in anesthesia and now in depression, or even, you know, some of our own, you know, our FDA approving it all those years ago for anesthesia was for a reason because it's safe, you know, and, and really when they, when you start off talking about something like that, how do you gain the ground back with somebody that, right. That wasn't ready to hear that. And so, I just want a big change, a big, uh, a big perception change into that word. You know, it's not the horse tranquilizer. It's not the, you know, this is real medication. This is real help that helps real people um, change. Uh, you know, the average change on it, something like the patient checklist or the PTSD checklist five that we use for PTSD patients is a 35 point reduction on average when you wow. use ketamine. That's the difference between being in the moderate to severe category and you don't have PTSD anymore. Wow. Now you, you never say that to anybody. And of course we would not, you know, remove that thing from their life. But when you can reduce somebody's symptoms to that extent with something that only occurs over a two week period, why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't it be covered? Why wouldn't it be there to help? And, and that's really what we're here for. We're here to educate and we're here to, to change perceptions. Well, we want to well, thank you guys for the good work you're doing and, and getting this um, information out there to our listeners and who I know a lot probably have a lot of interest in this. And you're also doing a great service for our community, our veterans, mm-hmm. um, and other folks that, that struggle with mental health. And that is a huge issue, as you've pointed out, not only in our communities, but in our, our whole country as a whole. And we're seeing that every day on the news lately. So, um, But thank you. Thank you for being on Beyond the Mask. And, and Sharon, I think that's a, a wrap. I think. It is. <laughs> so we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review, but only if it's positive. There's enough negativity out there. Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. 
Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.